And welcome to the latest episode of the Edgar Rice Burroughs podcast, where we celebrate the work of the greatest adventure writer of the 20th century. My name is Tim DeForest. I'm the author of several books on uh, pre-digital pop culture um, things like old time radio, newspaper comic strips, and the pulp magazine that most of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' work was originally published in. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts. <clears throat> well, yes. my name my name is Jess Terrell, and you might know me from the Facebook discussion group for the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs, where we talk ERB and uh, his characters, his worlds, and his great books. We talk uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs pretty near 24-7. For the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs, Jess Terrell, glad to be here. And this is Scott Stewart, writer and editor. Always enjoy being with the guys here doing this. Uh, I'm also with Randomized Studio, and we have a uh, publication coming out right around the holiday season time called Red Canals, an exploratory magazine fanzine about uh, all things related to Mars and uh, uh, stories, movies, books, and of course, uh, ERBs in there too. And both Tim and Jess have pieces coming out in that one. We'll give you more information as we get ready for the distribution on that. And uh, I know there are a couple other projects going on, but I'll get more information on those later. Okay, and um, before we begin our podcast, um, and this is something guys I forgot to put in my notes uh, in the outline that I sent you, but I wanted to mention a new book that uh, published by McFarland Press, uh, which is also the publisher that's published my books that they were kind enough to send me a review copy of it. And it is, the title is Jeetan, The Martian Chess of Edgar Rice Burroughs by Frederick Ekman. And I just wanted to talk about just how wonderful this book is. It's a book that fills a gap in the scholarship about Edgar Rice Burroughs that I don't think we all realized that gap existed until this book filled it. It's about the, uh, the Martian chess that is described in The Chessmen of Mars uh, which, by the way, we covered in a podcast a few years ago, so you can go back and listen to that. Um, but he discusses the rules of, of Giton, the variants that fans of Edgar Rice Burroughs or fans of chess have come up with. Uh, he talks about the influence it's had on other science fiction and how fictionalized versions of chess have showed up in other science fiction stories. Um, he just he uh, talks about the themes of uh, of of the chessmen of Mars and how the game of Giton relates to those themes. It is just a superbly uh, researched and uh, superbly written book, and I recommend it highly. Once again, it is Giton, the Martian Chess of Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, by Frederick Ekman, published by McFarland Press. Okay, and next. <laughs> Well, I believe I hear the apes of Kershak in the distance, reminding us that it is time for our trivia contest. Um, now, last time we asked the question, who is the daughter of Tars Tarkas? The answer is Sola. We got a total of five listeners who sent us uh, mm -hmm. the correct answer. And the randomly chosen winner from that was named Michael, who received a copy of uh, the, auth the new authorized edition of Tarzan the Invincible as his prize. And uh, Michael, if you're listening, we appreciate your posting a photograph of that in the for, uh, for love of uh, for love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, group, and we hope you enjoy the book. Uh, so we're doing another question uh, this uh, this time. Uh, we are recording this on October 30th, 
uh, and it should be released within a few days after that, October 30th, 2022, for those of you who are listening in the far future on the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> um, and so, and um, the, the question I ask, you can send it in, the, the answer, if you know it, to our email address, which I'll give in a moment, uh, send it in by November 15th, 2022. And um, uh, then you will be uh, qualify for the drawing of all the correct answers to win a copy of, um, geez, what is it? Tarzan the Magnificent. And once again, this is the new authorized edition with the wonderful Joe Jusco covers. Uh, these are possibly the best looking uh, editions of the Tarzan books that have ever come out. That's arguable because we've had covers by Frazetta and Boris and you know uh, um, just dozens of other great artists. But um, Jusco just really knocks it out of the park with his covers. Um, so. Uh, it's, uh, the prize is Tarzan the Magnificent, the authorized edition with the Joe Jusco cover. And here is the question. The question is, who was the captain of the O222 during its maiden voyage to Pellucidor? Now, we're talking about its appearances in ERB's original novels, not any later appearances in stories written by others. Um, so you just need to identify the name of the captain of the O222 during its maiden voyage to Pellucidor. Um, send that answer to our, our Gmail address, edgarsmailbag at gmail.com. And that address will be in the show notes for you to, uh, to, to, to get it. Um, if you post it elsewhere on any other social media site or podcast site, it will not count as an entry. We need to centralize this so that we don't leave anybody out. So if you know the answer, be sure to send it to our Gmail address. One last time, the question is, who was the captain of the O222 during its maiden voyage to Pellucidor? And we are referring just to Burroughs' original novels in this, with this question, not to any later appearances uh, of the O222 or um, later, later versions of that Zeppelin uh, in stories written by others. Um, so name the captain and be in the drawing to win a copy of Tarzan the Magnificent. And that brings us to the book we are going to be discussing tonight, Tarzan's Quest, um, which was originally published in six parts in Blue Book Magazine in 1935 and 1936 under the title Tarzan and the Immortal Men, which was actually a bit of a spoiler title, wasn't it? Um, he, it was written a year before. It was written in 1934, then published in late 1935 and early 1936 as a serial and then later published as a hardback and has with all of Burroughs' books, it's gotten many, many different um, uh, paperback um, reprints over the years. And I don't think that the authorized editions that are coming out now have gotten up to Tarzan's Quest, but they're getting close. So there'll be, a, there'll be an authorized edition out there with a Joe Jusco cover soon. And I'm really anxious to see what, what Joe does with this story. Um, so what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be summarizing five chapters at a time, and then I, Jess, and Scott will be discussing uh, the story and uh, uh, the, the various points we got out of it. So chapter one, we meet uh, Jane Clayton, who's having dinner uh, with her friend, Lady Hazel uh, Tarrington, Tennington, whom we had met way back, I believe, in The Return of Tarzan. Um, and this, by the way, is the first appearance of Jane Clayton since Tarzan and the Ant-Man. Uh, Tarzan's Quest is the 19th book in the series. So 
we've had eight books without any reference to Jane. Uh, Tarzan's just been wandering the jungle, stumbling across lost civilizations and having adventures, while Jane has apparently been waiting with infinite patience, either back at their bungalow or back in um, London. But this, this is her last major appearance in the original novels. And she really just is epic in this novel. One of my favorite aspects of Tarzan's quest is just how amazing Jane is. Um, well, so she and Lady Hazel are uh, having dinner and they jump into the, uh, bump into the princess, uh, it's S-B-O-R-O-V. Do you, one of you want to guess on how you pronounce that? Spell that again, please. Uh, the, the name of the princess, S-B-O-R-O-V. I'm just going to refer to her as Kitty from now on, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. The princess Boroff with the S-B silent? Who knows? I think it'd be a blend like Boroff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, she, she, her, her, form, her name was Kitty Krauss. She is now a princess because she's married uh, Prince Alexis Saboroff. Um, but, uh, you know, Alexis is, as we're going to see pretty quickly, he's just a jerk. And he's also broke. Whether or not, I don't think the story ever establishes for, for sure whether he was actually a princess or a prince, rather, or if that was just part of his uh, story to get to marry a rich woman. Um, uh, um, so whether or not he's actually a real prince, he's broke, he's dishonest, and he's totally rotten. Um, but Kitty is totally in love with the guy and doesn't see him for what he is at all. Now, Kitty tells Jane and Hazel about uh, an American gangster who had told them about a secret formula that would give you immortality uh, that exists somewhere in Africa. Um, so the, this racketeer has talked Kitty into financing an expedition to find the witch doctor who has this formula. Um, so Jane is going off to meet Tarzan in Nairobi. Um, so she agrees to accompany the, um, Kitty and uh, Alexi, Alexis rather, to Africa. Um, and that is chapter one. Chapter two switches to Tarzan. And this is going to be the usual pattern throughout this novel. One chapter on Jane and her group, and then a chapter on Tarzan as he's having what at first seems to be a separate adventure. It's all going to tie together eventually. What Tarzan is doing is investigating the disappearances of a lot of young girls uh, between the ages of 14 and 20. Um, and some of these include uh, Wazari girls. The Wazari are the tribe that Tarzan is the, is the chief of. So um, he's investigating this, but a lot of the, the natives that he's questioning are very superstitious about whoever is, is kidnapping these girls and they won't tell him anything. So he's at, Tarzan at first just figures, well, I'm not gonna get anywhere with this. He's accompanied by his monkey friend, Nakima, um, and he's about to give up when uh, some of his Wazuri, Wazuri uh, warriors led by Muvuro um, who's sort of like the top Wazari warrior, uh, show up because Mavuro's daughter has been kidnapped. Um, and that makes it personal. So um, the, the rumors are that a people called the Kavuru are responsible for her disappearance, but nobody knows where they are. Um, Tarzan is going to go on ahead to a village near where Kavuro country apparently is, is located. 
to see if he can find out something about the missing girl. There's a violent storm. And as the group is huddling to wait for the storm to abate, Tarzan hears a, uh, a airplane um, flying overhead. And by the way, as I'm summarizing this, I am referring to the uh, chapter summary of Tarzan's quest that's available on the ERB list as part of the, uh, um, the Edgar Rice Burroughs chapter summary. And I just want to credit them. I'm occasionally quoting almost directly from the, the summaries as I summarize this. Now, chapter three takes us back to Jane, who's now on that airplane. Um, the pilot, is, his name is Brown. Um, he's struggling to keep the plane in the air uh, during this storm. Also aboard are Jane, uh, her husband, Alexis, or uh, Kitty, Jane, Kitty, Kitty's husband, Alexis. I was giving Jane a new, uh, new husband there. Um, he's handmade Annette, a French girl, and, um, uh, uh, Alexei's English valet, Tibbs. Um, now, Brown tells her, tells Jane that they've lost their compass. They're completely lost. They've got, they brought too many supplies. They've got too much weight on the plane and they are uh, 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 gonna run out of gas. Uh, we find out right away that Brown doesn't think much of Alexis. His suggestion for staying in the air longer is to throw the prince who's complaining about everything overboard. Um, they don't, they have no gas, they have no parachutes. Um, Alexis, who's now in a panic, is verbally attacking his wife. Um, you know, Tibbs, the butler, is trying to comfort Annette, the maid, and they run out of grass, and Brown now has no choice but to try to land on top of the trees in the jungle. Um, now in chapter four, the plane crashes into the treetops. Uh, there's no serious injuries. The passengers, uh, they show, they all, pretty much show their personalities in this. Jane takes charge. She keeps her cool. She suggests they wait for the storm. Then they descend, they bring whatever useful supplies they have. Um, Alexis is complaining about everything. Kitty is in a useless panic. Brown is proving to be a, a reliable guy. Um, but we see by the way they react to this dangerous situation, exactly what their personalities are and who uh, who Jane can depend on and who she won't be able to depend on. Um, in that same uh, chapter, we switch back to Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan and Nimikima, after the storm is over, uh, go to a, a local village and they ask about the Kavuru, the people who are supposedly kidnapping the girls. Um, you know, after, um, you know, he just walks up to Adula, the chief, and he questions him. Now, Adula claims to know nothing about the Kavuru. And his warriors surround Tarzan, and he uh, Adula accuses Tarzan of being a spy for the Kavuro. And the chapter ends with uh, the warriors attacking the ape man. Chapter five takes us back to Jane. Once again, he's uh, tar um, uh, Burroughs is doing this interweaving, where he's going back and forth between the stories and leaving each uh, each group behind at a cliffhanger moment in order to build tension. Um, Jane is. Once again, it's a charge. It's her plan to get supplies from the luggage compartment. Um, she's able to climb out into the tree through the branches to the compartment and change into more suitable clothes. Um, there are others are worried about her climbing, but she's having no trouble. She's completely agile in the trees. She's learned a lot from Tarzan over the years. Um, Jane has just taken over as leader of the, of the group. She scouts the area. Um, she leaves instructions for the others to lower supplies to the ground. 
uh, Brown and Alexis are continuing to argue with each other. Um, Jane discovers a clearing nearby, which would make a good campsite. And she returns to the plane, but she senses something following her. Um, she's, you know, so, so Alexis by now has been lowered to the ground and she orders him to climb a tree because there are, a lion is coming. Uh, you know, Brown lowers a strap for Alexis and Jane is, you know, urging them to hurry because there's a lion coming. And that ends chapter five. Um, and what I like about these first five chapters, and you guys jump in anytime with what you think, is just, just how effectively Burroughs defines the characters on the plane. You know, we know pretty much right away that Brown is a good guy. And we know that Tibbs will probably be dependable as far as he's capable of. But Alexis and Kitty are established as spoiled and pretty much useless. Um, we also see that Jane is now completely at home in the jungle. You know, she early in her, in her marriage to Tarzan, she wanted them to stay away from the jungle. Now she's completely at home there. She shows not just courage, but she shows intelligence and practicality in dealing with the plane wreck and coming up with intelligent plans on what to do next. I would, I would agree with that because uh, his characterizations here are quite well defined and he, he defines them in such a way that we see where stereotypes of these people come from, not the fact that he's basing his writing on the stereotypes to try and get it into our head. He defines them in our own thought of who they are and why we see them, similar characters in other stories are there because of his original definition of them. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's just his ability, just not just to jump into the story quickly, but to introduce these character to, the characters to us so quickly and effectively is very impressive. It's typical of Burroughs' skill as an adventure storyteller. Um, but it's just, I think it's particularly noticeable here how well he does it. And uh, I'd like to add in this piece here, which almost seems incidental, the storm, because it's to create more uh, calamity for the plane crash and the meshing of the sounds when they hear the airplane come by. But for Burroughs' writing, um, if you want to call it the poetry of Pope writing, he actually, in a way, comes very similar to earlier writings by Ernest Hemingway with the Nick Adams stories and stuff like that, rather than a grandiose type uh, gothic. Uh, I'm a have a huge love for Edgar Allan Poe, but he will go in some very, very deep, you know, classical descriptions. I just want to read like this paragraph or two on the storm towards the end of uh, chapter two, where it says, the wind now was whipping the topmost branches of the trees. The thunder grew nearer and increased in violence. As the clouds sank thicker across the sky, gloomy darkness settled upon the jungle. Lightning flashed. Thunder crashed terrifically, and then the rain fell, came in solid sheets, bending the trees beneath its weight, and overall Usha screamed like a lost soul. The eleven men squatted with shoulders hunched against the beating rain, waiting for the first fury of the storm to spend itself. I can I can see and hear and feel mm -hmm. and see from from that description that he gives on there. I, I I just it's just such a small part, but it makes it show like for this book and how he's written in so many of his Tarzan stories, why it's so enjoyable to read, at least for me. Um, yeah, it's a very vivid and evocative scene. I agree. It's a great example of uh, Burroughs' skill as a writer. 
is feel that the imagination can easily bring to life. I saw those images as you were reading. You did a fine, fine job reading it there, Scott. Very vivid. Well, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but I just yeah. learned to read last week, so <laughs> I'm taking in a whole lot of his novels real quick. It is, it is typical of Burroughs' uh, uh, skill of his prose that he is able to bring these scenes to life, that he does fire up our imagination so that we do see what's happening while we're reading it uh, in such a vivid manner. Uh, uh, I've got a few things to say if, uh, if I may jump in. Mm -hmm. All right, back at the, overall, overall, I find this entire story to be a metaphor for a new start. Um, we have a fountain of youth and we have Jane returning after a long absence. James, I think you've already done the math. Jane's been gone for eight books, which by my calculation, depending on what timeline you ever, a person uses with these stories, and that's open to interpretation, but roughly six years is what I figure. Eight books, six years. And and, and now she's back and and, and presumably to, to, so that she's been gone for a long time, at least been absent, um, that that the reader, as far as the reader knows, and and now time to get get back together with Tarzan. Um, of course, unfortunately, we don't see her again after this adventure, which I think is just another opportunity lost. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we do know that just uh, that Burroughs did actually want to kill Jane off back in Tarzan the Untamed, and that was vetoed by the publishers. Right. Um, so he did want Tarzan to be on his own, unencumbered with a mate, so he could just go off and have adventures. Um, and he just he in the end he handled it by just having Jane not around. Um, right. One thing I do like about him including Jane this one more time, right in the middle of the last you know dozen novels, is that it tells us that it's not because they broke up or that anything bad happened. They still love each other. They're still mm -hmm. devoted to each other. They're still married. Mm -hmm. So. I think she's the way I see it is Jane just came to understand that Tarzan needs his time alone in the jungle. And that's part of what their relationship will consist of. Um, and she's, she'll be back in London or she might some during some of those time, some of that time she might've been in the bungalow in Africa and Tarzan might've come back to see her and spend some time with her. Right. Um, we don't know what, what yeah. happens in between. Yeah. Them. Yes. But I think was uh, Jess, I think in the last podcast, you suggested that Jane was probably running the business, the Greystone oh, yeah. finances, oh, which, yeah. which makes sense after, you know, bad financial advice left them broke one or two times in the early novels. Um, I could see just, you know, Jane saying, look, I'm just going to look after this and make sure no one messes up with our money again. Uh, so you you don't have to go to Opar and mess with the drop dead gorgeous <laughs> law anymore, by the way. I'll make sure we've got plenty of money. So um so uh you know so all of those make sense but I, one thing i do enjoy about this it's not the main slant of the novel but just that it establishes that nothing went awry with their marriage um it's just tarzan spends time alone in the jungle because that's who he is and i think Tar jane came to understand and accept that i understand mm -hmm. uh, certainly and it's always been made clear that tarzan uh made clear by burroughs that tarzan has behaved himself uh, just mm -hmm. today, in fact, I posted a picture of uh, Nemone, or Nemone, perhaps, from City of Gold. And she, mm -hmm. he was as taken with her as he was with any woman. But he 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 stayed. He kept his distance. To be clear, he take he kept his distance, and and uh, and and uh, behaved himself and stayed true stayed true to Jane. So he's had opportunities that he's just let go because he recognized, acknowledged, and very much remembered he was a married man. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is also the reason we often had co-heroes in the later novels, you know, um, 
True. You know, so that that that's somebody who could fall in love with the princess or whoever. Um, well, I think well, uh, Brown's an example of that in this very story. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I was just going to say, I think also you take in the context of the time mm-hmm. in the world, you know, now people still will travel around the world and be gone many miles from their family or friends or loved ones. But we have planes and cars that move much faster. Mm-hmm. Traditionally, people who were in the Navy are going out to sea or whaling ships, uh, um, expedition leaders, uh, archaeologists would be gone from their families and other people for months, if not years, in pursuit of the work or mission they're doing before they got back because travel was much more inconvenient, expensive, and, and took so much more time. So for them to be apart for a year, a couple years at a time, isn't as unusual at that time as we tend to think about people now growing up and all everyone staying around at the homestead or the farm or ranch. Yeah. And uh, also, you know, once Tarzan and Jane achieve immortality, if you're going to live essentially forever, then being apart 10 years might be like being apart one day for those of us who live a normal lifespan, because, you know, you're not really losing that much time. So, uh, you know, who knows how the psychology of that works once you, once you become effectively immortal. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got, some, got some other comments here, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this first chapter <laughs> and, and the first part of this book is our introduction to the to uh, Burl's view of the upper crust of society I mean, about, about all the lords and ladies and and that and that sort of thing. It reminded me of a quotation from Darno in Return of Tarzan, where Tarzan has just had a, had a run in there in Paris and um, with um, some uh, hoodlums or thieves or something. And he. Of course, he whooped them. Uh, not everyone fares as well as Tarzan does against um, the people who, who are trying to rob you there in, on the streets of Paris or any place for that matter. Um, the, the quotation from Darno is, it is difficult to rise above the jungle standards and reason by the light of civilized ways. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, I think, um, commenting that uh, uh, the differences between civilization and the jungle and where the, where the real jungle occurs. Actually, you get, you get held up by some um, by some thieves on the streets of pa- Paris or any any city, and uh, and you wonder if, if how civilized that area is. Mm-hmm. So I think it I think all this does reinforce Burl's message of healthy lifestyle, being around nature, exercise, eat right, and value the truly important things. So that, that's what I got from that. Yeah, and also uh, Burroughs clearly recognizes the hypocrisy that often exists within what with you know supposedly civilized life. Hypocrisy um, is exactly the word I was looking for. Good. Yeah, yes. and and uh, you know the kind of it's the similarity that Tarzan has to Conan the Barbarian, Robert E. Howard's character. You know, mm-hmm. someone someone who like comes from outside civilizations, has an outside perspective, and recognizes how corrupt and hypocritical civilization could often be. And comes to think of, you know, in Tarzan's case, jungle life and Conan's case, the barbarian people that he grew up with to be just more honest, not necessarily less brutal or less deadly, but at least more honest in what they were and what their goals were than in civilized life. Very well said. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to get to. You said very nicely there. Thank you. Good parallel there, which <laughs> reminds me of when we were talking about I am a barbarian a few uh, episodes or months ago. Um, the same, coming out 
from uh, the Britain tribes or barbarians there and his view on the uh, hypocrisy and lies and corruption in the uh, Roman government. Yeah, it's a common theme in Burroughs's work, um, and at least in the Tarzan novels. Um, and it's it's very effectively delineated here. I agree. Because, um, you know, Alexis and Kitty are the two least admirable people in the group, whereas Brown is the, you know, the lower class guy with a questionable background in some ways, but he's the one you can depend on. Um, and he's the one that will stick by your side when things get dangerous. Well, that's a good segue to my next uh, comment here is about Brown. I saw some verbiage. I don't think it was in the book, uh, but that's why I'm asking where if you all saw this that equated Brown to uh, being associated with gangsters or, or, or criminals or anything like that. Do you all see anything like that? Uh, no, it was, it's mentioned in the uh, chapter summary that I was quoting from. And okay. I think I think I said it. I don't recall it in the book. I may have missed it. Brown did know about the, the immortality stuff and was initially oh, yeah. hoping he could be in on it. Right, right. Um, but if there was a reference to him being apparently the chapters, the people, the person who did the chapter summary on the ERB list, and they do excellent jobs, uh, caught a reference to it um, or, you know, or made a rare mistake in referring to him as a gangster. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if he was referred to as a gangster, I simply missed it. Well, I, I didn't see it either. And, and, and I, um, well, I, I did not do a search, a word search, but mm -hmm. I could. Yeah. Uh, but in, in any instance of finding, of course, would have to be uh, looked at the context in which it's used. But my mm -hmm. point with all this is I did not see it, but I can say, uh, first of all, you're correct. He did have an interest in the Kavuru uh, uh, longevity uh, uh, elixir. And I would I prefer to say longevity as, as opposed, would you call it? Uh, immortality. Immortality. Thank you. Yeah. Because I, I think a person, my understanding is a person would still age given time. They're, mm -hmm. they're not going to live forever. They're just going to have a long life. I, so I see a distinction yeah. there. Maybe and, I did, and, yeah. and, and to be clear, they're not invulnerable. They're not like Superman. You can watch bullets bounce off his chest. If mm -hmm. they get shot or something like that, they, they got problems just like anybody else. Yeah, they, they can still be killed by violence or accident. Um, they, they, I suppose they could still catch a disease. You know, um, you could so. still you could still die of cholera. You just won't die of old age or won't for centuries, however it works. Right. So, but, yeah. but back to Brown, I think he does have street smarts. I think he's capable of taking care of himself. He, but he does not strike me as someone who would steal or harm a decent person or, or who would work for a high level gangster that would require him to kill, threaten or steal. Yeah. Uh, in some way. Uh, I, he, I, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to jump in. I could see him doing some bootlegging as long as it didn't involve violence. Well, now that's a good. That's a good point. He might. It, there, that is possible. And he is. He is a good pilot. He doesn't know how to handle that plane. In yeah. fact, my impression from the way Burrell states it is that they could have crashed if it hadn't been for for Brown's uh, skill as a pilot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I he, can see where possibly there might be a need to fly some boot, bootleg. Uh, yeah, he could have been he could have been uh, loading up on Canadian scotch and flying it into a field outside Chicago, and uh, he wouldn't have been involved in a gang war or in killing innocent people to keep it a secret. He just would have, you know, he would have, he would have been a courier, right? And and I can see him doing that and that being part of his history. Yeah, that that sounds plausible to me. I also want to note he has the decency throughout this story. You remember, Jane is a married woman. Uh, and he, he, she's an attractive woman. Sure, he'll admit that. But he knows she's married. He's not going to touch her. Um, talk about piloting skills. 
uh he does say, he does talk to people such as that um what's his name uh, uh alexis um uh, about the adapting to the reality of the situation that they're in mm -hmm. uh, but royalty still insists on being royal so those are yeah. my comments for chapter three and uh, oh, um, also one, uh, on chapter four, I simply want to state that's where we begin to see James' leadership style, and uh, I'm I'm leadership is a, a favorite topic of mine, and and um, so seeing her be able to take charge like that is is possibly my favorite part from this whole book, and this is one one of my favorite books in general. Mm -hmm. But that, yeah. that really appeals to me. Yeah, and, we saw we saw ahead. we saw her being pretty epic on her own way back in Tarzan the Terrible when she was uh, escaping oh, yeah. from the German officer. Yeah. But, but this case, she's both epic in that way, and she's also taking on that leadership role and hey. doing it doing it well. She is a good leader. Right, and we see jungle uh, jungle uh, skills on display again in chapter mm -hmm. five, which is what I was going to point out. Um, and, and all of this tells me that, and I don't like to criticize Burroughs. He certainly was plenty successful, and I certainly love his work. But I do wish I do wish uh, uh, Jane had been oh in, in a joint adventure with Tarzan as a working partner to him. I think this just shows that she has the aptitude and the abilities to do that. That would have been cool. Um, yeah. Now it, it's probably a good time to mention the online Edgar Rice Burroughs comics has just started a Jane comic strip, which is got good. off got off with it to a magnificent start and really does show Jane has being the capable person she is. Mm -hmm. Good point, and I think Jane will still appear periodically in the uh, new, I hate to use the word reboot, but the continuation of the Eternal Savage webcomic. Uh -huh. Jane has certainly been a, a vital uh, member over at the, the Tarzan Twins webcomic, at least to this point. But I think that her time there might be done, I believe. I, I, I think the Jane comic is spinning off from the yes. Tarzan, uh, yes, directly from the it. Tarzan Twins. Because they got the young lady from Paludon and her, yeah. uh, her pet Griff is there too. Mm-hmm. And, and Korg came over, and they all looked very robust, like they've been hitting hitting vitamins. Yeah, for the weight room. But uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's very promising. Okay, good. That's all my comments. Please proceed. Okay. Uh, well, chapter six through ten. Chapter six jumps back to Tarzan, so we still have that jumping from one chapter to the next, the interweaving. Um, uh, the you know he's now a prisoner of this tribe. He does try to get away. Grab a, he grabs a native as a shield and tries to get away, but he's knocked out. Uh, but there's an argument between the witch doctor who who thinks the uh, who thinks they should not kill Tarzan because he thinks he's part of the Kavuru and the, the, there'll be some sort of disaster if they kill him. The chief wants to kill him, so they call for a vote by by the warriors, uh, in which they they pass a gourd around, in which they're supposed to place um, a kernel of corn into the gourd for to vote for life or a pebble to vote for death. Uh, but the, the ballot's overwhelmingly for death. Um, Tarzan does not do well in politics, apparently, because um, the vote <laughs> is against him. Um, but, uh, you know, they will, they're going to, the plan is to torture and kill him the next evening. And then chapter ends that night when Tarzan is in a hut tied up and somebody enters that hut. We don't know who yet. Uh, chapter seven switches back to Jane and the others. They, they were lowering themselves down from the plane when a uh, lion shows up. Jane climbs the trees. Alexis is hauled up by a strap and faints while this is happening. It's just another sign that he uh, is, he's just cowardly. Um, they, um, you know, they, they, he's pulled up into the plane. Kitty is also useless. She's completely hysterical. Jane climbs back up to them and she calms down the situation. Um, she plans to shoot the lion, but 
it turns out, and Burroughs gets some great humor in this with the guns. You know, Alexis didn't pack any ammunition for the rifles. Tibbs has a pistol, but that's already been lowered to the ground. And when they finally get to that later on, they discover that Tibbs didn't bring any bullets for it either. So they don't have any firearms, uh, which Jane thinks is funny. She doesn't like panic or yell at anybody or anything. She just laughs at it. Um, they get everybody to the ground. Um, Kitty, by the way, is now very upset with Alexis and threatens to cut him out of the will. And this is going to be important later on. Uh, and the chapter ends with, um, with, you know, you know, them, with most of them down on the ground and the rest getting ready to come down. Chapter eight switches back to Tarzan again. It's the witch doctor who's entered the hut. Uh, he wants to free Tarzan uh, uh, in the hopes that the Kavuro will not hurt him or take his daughters. And remember, he still thinks Tarzan is part of the Kavuro. So he gives Tarzan directions to the Kavuro country and cuts him loose. Um, so uh, Tarzan gets away that way. Um, but he first he goes in to get his weapons. I, this is another cool scene. He has to sneak into a hut past sleeping warriors to get his personal weapons. Um, and when one of the warriors wakes up, Kavuro, uh, Tarzan tells him he's a Kavuro and just scares the guy into leading him out the gates. Um, and uh, in the meantime, Nakima, who doesn't know Tarzan has escaped, is leaving for home. And that, you know, he'll be back in the story before long. Um, and uh, finds a lion attacking a white man. And this is Yudena, the uh, Kavuro. Um, Tarzan saves him. Uh, he, draw, he kills the lion, which, yes, uh, um, you did a spreadsheet. This was like lion number 30, I think, that he kills over the course of the series um, from, from, your, from the count you did. I forgot all about, about my spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. right. I've got it here someplace. Yeah. Yeah, it's just when I was reading that, I got curious to how many lions he had killed over the course of the series. And you did a quick search and a spreadsheet. And this, I believe, was lion number 30. So, um, um, you know, Tarzan asks Yudina, the Kavuro, to take him to his chief. Yudina just tells Tarzan he has to leave or the Kavuro are going to kill him. Uh, he, he's, he's willing to let Tarzan get away because Tarzan saved him, but that's as far as he'll go. Um, nine goes back to Jane again. They all make it to a clearing where they've set up a boma. You know, they, they surround themselves with, shor with uh, thorns and, uh, and make some shelters. Uh, that's where they discovered that Tibbs' pistol is first just a little tiny 22 and second has no ammunition. But Jane makes a bow and some arrows and a spear. She's, you know, just she's learned everything she needs to learn from Tarzan over the years. Um, she also borrows Brown's knife and she's going to go out and hunt some food for them. Um, so Brown wants to go with her, but she takes to the trees and just leaves him behind. He can't keep up that way. There are every, you know, she's just impressing them all with how well she's doing. Um, now, while she's gone, Brown and Alexis are still quarreling with each other. Um, you know, and uh, also Brown starts to build up a relationship with Annette, the French maid. Um, and, you know, you can predict pretty early, I think, that those two are going to end up together. Um, Jane out in the jungle, she kills um, an antelope, um, but then a leopard appears, you know, to stalking her. She doesn't want to give up the kill, so she fire, fire, fires an arrow at the leopard, and then we switch. This is a great cliffhanger. We switch back to the camp where we hear the screams of the leopard, um, 
where, you know, Brown and uh, the others hear the screams of a leopard and they don't know what's happening to poor Jane out there. So that, so he and Tibbs leave the camp to try and find Jane and help her. Um, Ken goes back to Tarzan, who's still with Yadina, the Kavuro guy. Um, you know, Tarzan's still insisting on meeting the Kavuro chief. Yadina's still saying that, no, you'll just be killed if that happens. Um, you know, Tarzan also asks if the Kavuro are the ones who are actually kidnapping all the young women, uh, you know, or why, you know, don't they have enough of their own? Um, and this is where we start to get hints of what's going on with the Kavuro. He says that they haven't had women for 80 years. And of course, that doesn't make sense because Yadina appears to be a young man. So, you know, uh, the whole 80 years with no women in their tribe doesn't make any sense at all because they couldn't possibly have young men in the village if that were the case, as far as Tarzan knows. Uh, so Burroughs, I think, very expertly starts to set up what we're going to find out about the Kavuro and, and the uh, longevity pills. Um, so Tarzan leaves Yudina uh, trying to give the impression that he's given up, but he's going to circle back and follow him. But in the meantime, Yudina kidnaps a girl who turns out to be the daughter of the witch doctor. Um, so you know, they have a way of like making a sound that hypnotizes girls and has them walk out into the jungle and then they can catch them, um, you know, in, rope them and tie them up and carry them out through, back through the trees. So Tarzan's following them. Um, uh, you know, when the, when the spell wears off on the girl and she can talk, she thinks that she must be kidnapped. This guy must be uh, the same person they had prisoner. That must be Tarzan. And she starts saying, you have to keep your promise to my dad, you know, not to harm her. That, but that doesn't, you know, that Yudina has no idea about that. Um, but it, to Tarzan, who overhears this, it means that he is obligated to help this girl. Uh, so that night, while Yudina sleeps, Tarzan carries the girl away. Um, you know, she thinks that Tarzan is still another Kavuro, but she's willing to take her chances with him. Um, so that's chapters six through 10. Um, one thing I wanted to start out by saying is that voting process for whether or not to kill Tarzan using the corn kernels and the pebbles, I think that was very clever. And I think it was a great way to add tension to the scene about whether or not, you know, Tarzan was going to get a death sentence. Um, yeah, I I, I, I like that too. And another thing that caught my attention on that area is with the chief or the head of the warriors uh, being in conflict with the uh, witch doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we saw this in, in uh, Tarzan and the Ant-Man Ant too. Uh, there's actually a political play in there. And when we go back and I think like Apache Devil, you would have like the medicine man and the chief could be at odds. And I don't think this is a crutch or a cliche that Burroughs uses in the stories because uh, just recently I was watching uh, a version of Three Musketeers. And in there you have the Cardinal and the King and they're both vying for legitimate power. And you can pull out a lot, we were talking about, you know, Robert E. Howard and Conan earlier with stories that way. And so many traditional stories that it, it's a legitimate use of dynamics and personality. It, it's a, uh, a trope that uh, uh, is effective and used and, and isn't a cliche or, or a short way where he's trying to create a conflict, a artificial conflict. It's a, it's a very real thing and mm -hmm. faces a power like that. Yeah, and it makes sense. The, the, the chief is the secular power and the, the uh, witch doctor is pretty much the, the, the spiritual or religious power. And the, you know, 
they're going to conflict each, with each other. So it, it makes perfect sense, whether it's in a, an African village or in 17th century Paris with the king and the cardinal. You're always going to have that conflict as long as there's a chance to gain actual real power. Um, um, you know, uh, where, you know, anytime you have a corrupt religious institution where what they want is not to, 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 is not to lead the people spiritually in a legitimate religion, but rather to gain political power, they're going to conflict with the, with, with the secular power. It's, it's inevitable. So yeah, I agree. It's not contrived at all. It's a perfectly reasonable plot device. Um, one thing, you know, I'm going to talk about Brown for a moment here. Uh, he's obviously one of the good guys, and we like him, and we know we can depend on him. I think his one fault is that he can't stop arguing with Alexis and Kitty. Um, you know, Jane has to act, ask him. He, she shows more wisdom when she keep, tells him to just set it aside and try and reduce tension in the group because they've got to survive together now. Um, but, um you know, all the same, even though Brown is kind of contemptuous of Alexa and Kitty, and he's too quick to argue with them, um, when they when they were lowering Kitty down from the plane, he does show some compassion towards her when he sees just how terrified she is. So he's, even though he doesn't think much of Kitty and doesn't think anything at all of Alexis, he can still show compassion towards at least Kitty when when she's when she shows herself to be near panic in that situation. So. Uh, and one, you know, and I think we've already mentioned Jane's great leadership skills. You know, we, she, when she finds out there's no, you know, pistol for Tibbs's little tiny gun, she just laughs. Um, um, you know, she doesn't get angry. She's not critical of Tibbs. She just blows it off and moves on and tries to keep the morale of the group up. Except things the way they are. Except, yeah. except the, the cart that the 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 hands that the hand that's been dealt to you if you're playing yeah. part. And, and recognize the importance of morale within the group. They can't be arguing yeah. with each other and you can't, um, you know, a small group like that, you can't be drill sergeant leader. That wouldn't work. Um, so so she's, she shows wisdom as a leader in so many ways. Uh, we see a little bit of foreshadowing when Kitty says she's going to cut the uh, Alexei out of the will and his eyes are described as going into ugly slits. You know, you, at that moment, you can easily easily believe that Alexis would commit murder to, to protect his his wealth. So, um, observation I would like to make, if I may. Please. <laughs> um, someplace in here, there's a, some comments on Tarzan kind of moving at his own speed, and that's my words, not that's not a direct quote. But it occurred to me is, and we've already established that Jane's been at least out of the books for some period of time. And um, I was thinking about, uh, if this means he's been acting, uh, you know, he's had the house to himself, imagine the mess he's made, for example. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's got to be dirty loincloths laying over in the corner that should have been laundered a long time ago. He probably has a still, still has a carcass that he gutted, still hanging out in the front yard. And then there's probably cat hair from Jabalja all over the place. <laughs> So he really needs to get home and get that mess cleaned up. And here he is out here um, doing the hero thing, which is which he does so well. Mm -hmm. And so if he's a little uh, moving a little slower, a little distracted. I think um, he's he's wondering uh, what how Jane's going to react when she sees when she sees the mess he left back home. Probably okay. why he didn't want to be bothered earlier with the rescue. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> that was that was my point. Mm -hmm. By um, by the way, I I think I think you got a good point on the chronology. I think you're. 
years and that uh, the tails add up uh, pretty well there. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, there are uh, several, several chronologies available all from very uh, thorough Burroughs researchers. That's just the, the one that I have that I prefer and I, I have my reasons for preferring it. Um, and it, it's all kind of a the great Korok time descriptions. He doesn't help any at all when you're trying to figure out nah. these dates. But yeah. uh, it's uh, just something to put uh, put a little context on, I suppose. Uh, it, it's an approximation. Yeah, uh, those chronology books are are fun and interesting too. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah. they're a really good source to. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the end, the, the Korok time discrepancy is going to be there no matter how. You know, there's some there's been great theories for how to explain it, but none of them are ever completely satisfactory. It's just something that's there, and. Um, I am interested, Scott, I think you mentioned last time that an upcoming book from, uh, you learned an upcoming book from um, when, the, Scott the, Eckert when Scott Eckert is going to maybe mm -hmm. put it to rest once and for all. Yeah. Um, I, and I think he'll come up with a great idea, if he, whether he uses a pre-existing theory or something brand new, I think it'll be great. Uh, but it's not going to make everybody happy, though. The, the no, Korak, but I, the, I trust his instincts. <laughs> I do, yeah. too. I, do I, too. I, I, I I agree. If if anyone if anyone can explain this thing satisfactorily, Wynn can do it. Yeah, I'm anxious to see what he has. But but I think we could all pop immortality pills and be talking about it. You know, thirty thousand <laughs> years from now, and 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 there would still be people unsatisfied with any explanation that's come up. Well, so it's a timeless <laughs> subject. It is. Yes. <laughs> I do want to comment on just there's a lot of humor in this book. We're going to see it later on when the Kima take center stage for a while, but things like um, just the, the whole thing with the weapons, with Alexei leaving, you know, not bringing ammo, and then they want to get Tibbs's pistol, and they have to go down to the ground to get it, and then there's no bullets for that, and Tibbs didn't think to mention that. Um, that's all funny, and Brown is a great line where he tells Alexei that I know you come from a long line of cab drivers, which um, kind of refers to a stereotype where you know, like people who escaped from Russia who, who were nobility, you know, when the communists took over would end up working as a cab driver in the U.S. That was kind of a stereotype. So that's just a funny line. And when you take it in context of the time. Um, so Burroughs, he gets opportunities to show his sense of humor in this book, I think a little bit more than in a lot of other Tarzan books. Um, also, there's kind of something interesting when Tarzan first realizes that the witch doctor's daughter has been kidnapped by the Kavuro. Um, you know, we, we, we know that Tarzan has a strong sense of honor and of right and wrong, but, you know, his, his upbringing has still left him with sometimes like a kind of a ruthless attitude or towards life. Though, Jess, I know you're going to have some stuff to talk about this. I'm, I'm just going to, yeah, ahead. uh, just going to quote from, I think you mentioned it before we started recording. So, so uh, to, uh, just a quote from chapter 10. To him, the life of the black girl was no more than the life of an antelope or that of any other beast of the jungle. To Tarzan, all were beasts, including himself, and none uh, with any rights greater than another, except when that which he might win by strength or cunning or ferocity. Um, so at first, he seems to be disinterested in saving the girl. And it's not until he realizes that he's the witch doctor, that she's the witch doctor's daughter that he feels an obligation to rescue her because he had promised the witch doctor that his daughter would be safe. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's a, seems to be a little bit ruthless here. Um, so, uh, you know, Superman would jump in and save any, any innocent person. With Tarzan, it's not necessarily 100% guaranteed that he would save you. Um, but um, 
I just going to say, uh, I think he's also showing here the difference between living in a two different worlds or societies or personalities mm -hmm. where at first it's just somebody out there. Then he discovers that he has a personal link to it. Uh, my, um, in a similar respect, my, my sympathies to uh, families over in Seoul, Korea the last couple of days with the uh, uh, 150 some people who killed in the crushing in the, uh, the street and alleys there. Normally, I'm only bringing that up to show that we hear about these tragedies around the world and China and England or whatever. And it's just, uh, it's sad, it's another tragedy. But where this happened, Itaewon, I'm very familiar with the area. I lived in that area uh, 20 years ago and, and know the area quite well. And it creates a different impact on mm -hmm. your reaction and your thought and how, how you do it. Same with someone in your family gets hurt or, or something happens as opposed to hearing something about a similar incident uh, on the news or through email from someone you know, don't know or vaguely know. When you have some type of personal connection, I think ERB is very much showing our human nature compared to, well, you could even say it happens with pets, uh, how dogs and cats or other pets react in their surroundings to people they live with compared to to strangers and, and if there's a care or not there. So I think actually it's a very deep, uh, uh, a subtle but deep point that ERB could be making here. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, but, you know, I also kind of like that he remembers that Tarzan is, you know, he did have his upbringing in the jungle, you know, until he was, um, how old was he, 19 or 20 or a little older when he about, finally, yeah. 19, 19 or 20 is about right. Yeah, when he, when he finally encountered civilized people. Um, and he'd been pretty much at war with the cannibal tribe that was there, the only other humans he'd ever seen. Um, and he well, has, and he did grow morally. There's that wonderful scene in Return of Return of Tarzan where he learns that he doesn't need to consider all black men as enemies, and that he has to judge people on an individual basis. Um, um, you know, uh, which is like a bit of a, an important bit of moral growth for him. But well, his, his excuse me, his problem with the. Uh, local tribe there was mm -hmm. really he blamed all of them for Carlos death oh yeah no I get that I get that we understand his point of view but we also see where he still had some moral growth he needed to he needed to go through mm -hmm. because because he was in his mind he was extending that to every black man he saw was an enemy um and it was in return to Tarzan where he had his epiphany where he realized oh no that's wrong Mm -hmm. I can't do that. I have to judge them as individuals because this guy I'm seeing fighting a lion is obviously brave and, um, uh, you know, he's got dignity and he's got courage and, oh, yeah. um, you know, why can't I be a friend with him? Right. So, um, so he, you know, he did have moral growth, but he still does have a survival of the fittest attitude in some ways because mm -hmm. um, he needed to, he needed that connection to where, oh, this is a girl I had promised to keep safe. So I need to save her before he actually made an effort to save her. It wasn't an automatic thing the way it would have right. been with, with, with say Superman or, um, or Batman. But. I, I think going in on that, on where we're talking about uh, his understanding, if you want to call it morality or maturing or learning, accepting the difference, let's say maybe be from the animalistic species to the human side, 
uh, is illustrated very well in the fact that in animal society, he being <laughs> superior would take Jane for his own. But instead, when he's given the note that uh, confirms who his real identity is, and they ask who he is, he crushes the note and does not tell them the truth because he doesn't feel it would be appropriate and be right to take Jane's conception of what her life and love is at that time compared to who he is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, uh, it just, I think this just shows Tarzan to be a very complicated character. Um, you know, the, the Johnny Weissmuller stereotype that most people think of when they think of Tarzan just isn't accurate to the way Burroughs presents him. There are depths, there are depths to his personality and to his thought processes that, uh, that are sometimes complex. I agree. So, um, okay, any other comments on chapter six through 10 or should we move on? Uh, nothing for me. Well, chapter 11 takes us back to Jane's group. You know, Brown and Tibbs had run out at the sound of, uh, you know, the sound of a, of a leopard scream. They were afraid Jane was in trouble, but they discover she had taken out the leopard with a couple of arrows. Um, and they're, once again, they're really impressed with her. It's like Jane can do anything. Mm -hmm. So they take the antelope, ba antelope back. They have steaks that night. Um, they're discussing plans for how to get back to civilization. And Jane decides that she should go for help alone while the others hunker down here. Um, but that night, you know, we know things are gonna go wrong because we, we get some uh, a scene from Alexis's point of view. First, he's like fallen in lust for Jane. You can't call it love or any sort of legitimate attraction. Uh, it's obviously just lust. And he also feels a lust for his wife's uh, fortune, which comes to $70 million. Um, and so, you know, during the night, Brown and Tibbs are, are standing guard. Um, Brown is talking to Tibbs and says, if Kitty wasn't around, because she's the physically weakest of all, then maybe they could all go to try and find civilization. The main reason Jane is going to go alone is that Kitty can't travel with the rest of them. Um, but, um, you know, they, as, you know, Alexa comes out for his watch, um, during Brown's guard duty, you know, Annette joins him. So we get some more evidence that those two are falling in love. Um, but then she, but she, you know, says that she woke up um, because she felt like somebody was called, somebody was crawling around in the hut she was in, which is the same hut that Kitty was in. And that brings us to chapter 12, where they discover that um, Kitty's head has been split open during the night. Um, she's been murdered. Now, Brown rightfully su su suspects Alexis. I doubt anyone reading this from the first time would, would suspect anybody from Alexis. We know he had a, anybody but Alexis. We know he had a motive. Um, but, um, um, you know, Tibbs has to say that Brown had said that if the Kitty weren't around, they would all be able to get back to civilization. So that makes Brown a suspect. They all begin to accuse each other. And they talk about motives and alibis. Um, you know, Alexis just insists they should keep, uh, look for the murder weapon and they search and they find the bloody hatchet in Brown's things. But, uh, you know, Brown just knows that Alexis must have planted it there. But as chapter 12 ends, it looks to the others that Brown actually might be guilty of the murder. Um, 13, we go back to Mavuro and the Wazari warriors. Um, they come across Nikima who's trying to lead them somewhere. 
So they there led to the village where Tarzan was was held um, was held prisoner, and they approach it uh, peacefully. They just want to find out what's going on. Um, um, you know, they're, they're told that Tarzan was there, but he's not any longer. Um, they make sure there's only 10 Wazari warriors. There's not a lot of them. And, uh, you know, he permits them to um, enter the village. But that night when they're eating together, they drug them. They give them a drug, uh, a drug drink and um, they're captured. Um, when, when they wake up, they're all tied up and they realize they're in trouble. And the chapter ends with them, the Wazari warriors wondering what will happen to them next. Um, chapter 14 is back to Tarzan, who's with the witch doctor's daughter. Um, and she's starting to feel safe with Tarzan, even, even though she's now suspecting that he's a demon. Um, she's, he's asking her to tell her people that he's not with the Kavuro, and she says she will. He returns her to the village. Now, Nakima catches up with Tarzan. Um, and um, um, Nakima, for at first, doesn't remember that the Wazari are captive. And I love this too. He remembers that Nakima is not a man, that he's a monkey. And his thought processes are never going to be quite the same as a man. Um, it's, a, it's a while before he remembers that the Wazari were a prisoner, and he tells this to Tarzan. Um, so uh, they go back to the village. Um, he goes into the huts and he frees them. And uh, the chapter 14 ends with them waiting for the guards to come in so that they can jump them. Um, now, chapter 15 jumps back to Jane and her group. Um, so they all agree to head back to civilization together now. And Brown agrees to go with them, uh, even though he's afraid that any trial for murder will be unfair. Um, so, um, and, um, so he figures he will stay in Africa and search for the, you know, the perpetual youth formula. Uh, they have a discussion about what direction to go in. Alexa wants to go one way, Jane wants to go the other. Um, he, uh, in the end, Jane makes the decision which way they'll go. They pack up what they can carry. Um, they, uh, um, Jane finds a little piece of evidence, a piece of burned fabric that is a part of Alexa's um, shirt, I think it was that he got blood on, that's an indication that he had to burn this and that maybe he is guilty of the murder. Um, so there's evidence now pointing towards Brown and evidence pointing towards Alexis. Although once again, I don't think anybody reading this for the first time will have any doubt at all that Alexis is the killer. Uh, Jane leaves a note behind in their camp in case someone comes by and they uh, start out towards, uh, towards, the, towards the east, the direction that Jane thinks they should travel. And that is chapters 11 through 15. Um, actually, I'm gonna wanna say that the dialogue among the various members of Jane's party is just wonderfully written. You know, each person is given his own personality, his own style of speaking. And Brown and Annette's interactions are just really sweet. It's not a, just a tacked on love story. You can really believe these two are sweet on each other. And what do you guys think, think of the murder mystery? Did uh, anybody? <laughs> probably been years since we all read this for the first time. Did, any, did does anybody remember having any doubt at all that Alexis was the killer? I, I certainly had no doubt. And yeah. I, do, I do welcome a murder mystery. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there could always be a twist or turn there we don't anticipate. And it could be uh, the, the other person I think would be the most likely uh, 
Well, I can't say that either. I, I started to say that um, O.R. Pollitt might might have been a a, um, a, a cult, might have been a suspect, but I don't. I, I shouldn't say that because I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. I, I think Alexis would be would be the primary suspect here. Go ahead. Yeah. I think I was going to say something. No, I just agree. The only doubt would be: is he going to do some twist and add something else to the story? So, kind of expecting that. It's not going to be an obvious one, but sometimes mm. it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I guess I can understand that Jane wants to do this uh, properly. She wants to take it back, take the, everybody to go back to, to civilization and present the evidence to the authorities. Um, I suspect, even though it's not overtly said, I suspect that Jane probably figured Alexis did it as well, but knew there was no legal proof and just had to treat the, to take the situation as was given to her until they could get back to the authorities and she could turn the investigation over to the cops. So. That would uh, make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to read a sentence here. This is dealing with the Wazari warriors. Um, how how uh, Burroughs describes them in one chapter. It's just here indeed were men, the very sight of whom could, would have instilled respect and perhaps fear in the hearts of any state, uh, strange tribesmen who might see them. So he writes with these black warriors, uh, African natives with respect. Um, he's saying that these are men who are brave, um, who, who are impressive to look at. Um, and yeah, I, and, I, and we have to say that sometimes Burroughs did use racial stereotyping. It was common in that era when he wrote. But in the end, he always treats his characters as individuals. And he had both good guys and bad guys among both races. So we have the, the village that um, with the chief who is bet- double crossing everybody and they're going to torture prisoners to death and they're not very nice. But this is counterpointed by the Wazari who are, um, who are just um, respected warriors and good men. Um, so, um, you know, Burroughs is fair-minded in the way he presents people. He never presents one race as being all bad or all good. He's got good guys and bad guys mixed in everywhere. Um, so he had a good understanding of human nature. In fact, I wish they brought more Wazari and with rifles too, because they're very good shots. You know, that's a good point. They showed up like Lost Empire, for instance. They showed up there to rescue everybody at the end with rifle, with modern rifles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought rifles with Blusador to the. With yes, they Blusador, did. Didn't they? Right. So, why the heck aren't they carrying rifles here? Uh, they would have come in awful handy later on. Most definitely. Yeah. Yes, and I, you know, they obviously had them and they knew how to use them. So what was Mavuro thinking of? His daughter's kidnapped. He says, I'm going to get some guys and we're going to go try and figure out where my daughter is. And that makes sense. Why didn't he say, hey, guys, let's grab some rifles before we go? Um, so, um, you know, Mavuro is usually a pretty smart guy, but um, he kind of dropped the ball there. They should have had rifles. He, he might have been moving, in, since his daughter's involved, yeah. take it over. he could have, been, could have been moving in haste. I could yeah. certainly see that. Seems I, like they do retrieve one or two weapons from that uh, crashed plane. That they we'll do. Run into yeah. for a minute. But still, they that's do. not like arming everybody. It's only enough there for two people. They might even be short on ammo. Yeah, yeah. If they had all had modern rifles, you know, all 10 of them, um, they, they could have kicked butt. Of, and of course, you wouldn't have had much of a story then. But well, that might be, the, might be but, the reason. Yeah, but I can actually see that as a legitimate reason. You know, Bavuro realizes his daughter is gone. Somebody says, hey, can't we go back to the bungalow and get some rifles? No, there's no time. This is my daughter. Let's just go. We can handle it. 
And maybe, just, maybe he's not the caliber of the caliber of man we thought he was. I don't know about that. I've only. Oh, I, mean, I think. I think. I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs> oh, I see caliber. Okay, it was such a bad pun. Oh, that caliber. I, that, that was the that, pun. Yes, it was such a bad pun that we didn't get it at first. So that <laughs> I, 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 I thought you were talking about <laughs> Yeah, that's not new to me. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. Um, yeah, but um, I actually thought of that at some point. Is why why the heck don't they have rifles this time? But um, I can see Mavuro just make normally a good leader himself making this like just spot decision because he's in a hurry to get his daughter. It's just and, let's, let's just go. And maybe he just grabbed the first ten people he saw and said, "You're with me." Yeah, he, he really could have done that. Yeah. Um, Another thing I like in this section, this bit of chat, this uh, um, these chapters is Brown is thinking about cutting off on, on his own and just looking for the the uh, longevity serum uh, because he doesn't think he'll get a fair trial. But in the end, he sticks with the party because he wants to make sure that Jane and Annette are safe before he takes off. So he's got this, you know, chivalry to him. He's just another indication that he's a good guy. Uh, he's not going to abandon everybody else until they're safe, even though he's afraid he might be sticking his neck into a noose and being hung for a murder he didn't commit. And that further reinforces the point that I was making earlier about whether or not he, how bad of a guy he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and another little bit of how good a leader Jane was, she does feel sorrow over Kitty's death, but she just suppresses that because right now her responsibility is to the living and that mm -hmm. has to take precedent. Mm -hmm. So another, another mark in the strong leadership column for Jane there. Mm-hmm. Any other comments on these chapters? No, I'm done. Uh, I'm good. Okay. Um, so chapter 16 moves back to Tarzan and Azari. They, they subdue some guards as they come into the hut. They get weapons off them. Um, they um, um, eventually, there's some, some good adventure stuff here, but eventually they get away. Um, and the the Wazari are still a bit woozy from the drugs, but they let that they 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 are able to get away and have that wear off. And um, meanwhile, a Wazari warrior shows up, you know, with a message on a stick, uh, the way they used to carry him. Um, and he, you know, he eventually gets this message to Tarzan, and it's that Jane is flying into Nairobi. Um, and, you know, Tarzan wonders if the plane he heard that night of the storm was her plane. Um, but he doesn't know Tar he doesn't know yet that Jane's actually in trouble. So he decides to still continue with to find Mavuro's daughter, to find the Kavuro and find out what they're doing with the girls. Um, Nikima, by the way, takes the stick and the envelope and just this is his great toy. For the next few days, he's carrying around this stick with an envelope at the end. Um, and he protects it at all costs. He meets a female uh, monkey from a nearby tribe. Um, and he's just very jealous, even when he's like making time with this female. His main, his main concern is this envelope on a stick because that's just such an awesome thing. And he doesn't notice that Tarzan and the Wazari start north while he's playing with his stick and trying to impress his new girlfriend. Um, it's an hysterical scene. It's a sweet scene too, it's amazing that Burroughs gets this little bit of sweetness in for a monkey playing with a stick and his girl and his <laughs> like new girlfriend. But it's, it's just really, you kind of like thinking, hey, Nikima, good job, you got a girlfriend. Um, and and it's, there's a sweetness to it. That's really just uh, amazing. Um, so chapter 17 is 
uh, back to Jane and her group, where Alexa is declaring his love for Jane. Um, and uh, she reacts to that by threatening to impale him with a spear if she tries to, if he tries to put a move on her. Um, you know, she's not, she doesn't think much of him. Um, and I think she probably, you know, even if she weren't a married woman, I think she probably recognizes that Alexis' uh, emotions are not sincere. That if anything, what he's feeling is lust. Um, uh, Alexis also tries to bribe a gnat for that piece of cloth that could indicate he had committed the murder. Uh, and he tries to convince her that Brown and, and Jane are in love with each other. Um, but she still won't give him this cloth. And he starts to choke her. She cries out. Um, um, you know, Tibbs run over to help her. She, Alexis says that a snake frightened her. Um, and, you know, Annette agrees kind of with some irony that if it was a snake that scared her. She does not rat out Alexis, which I wish she had, uh, but she's afraid of him. Um, you know, um, and he actually gets a chance to say, you know, don't say anything about this or I will kill you. Um, so um, they, they camp down for the night um, they let Annette take one of the watches, but during the night, um, and during the night, she and Brown talk some more and they profess their love for each other. But then by morning, she has disappeared. So Annette is now missing. Um, chapter 18 is, um, you know, there's more just <clears throat> wonderful stuff with Nikima and his paper on a stick and the girl. Uh, the girl monkey he's with, who at one point gets the stick away from, gets the paper away and runs off. Um, you know, by the time she catches her, he, he can't find the paper. Um, but he does find Jane's note in their original camp as a replacement. So he puts this on his stick and he brings it to Tarzan, but he, he where he thinks Tarzan is, but he discovers they've moved on. Um, so when the, when the female, ape, uh, female monkey's Clan comes up and they chase Nikima away. He just uh, starts to follow Tarzan's trail. Uh, and, and it's important to remember that the note he now has on the end of his stick is now the one that Jane left behind at the campsite after the plane wreck. So that's important information there. Um, chapter 19 takes us once again back to Jane and his group. Uh, Brown accuses, accuses Alexis of harming Annette and actually attempts to, to kill him. You know, Jane breaks them up. Um, um, you know, uh, uh, there's just all, there's still this ongoing conflict before them all. Uh, Jane follows Annette's tracks, which stop under a tree. And so she's able to deduce that a man or a man-like creature um, had grabbed her from and lifted her up into the branches. Um, um, you know, they can't find her. There's no way to find her. So they decide to move, continue to move on to civilization. Um, Alexa's tr still trying to convince Jane that he loves her. Um, Jane punches him in the face at one point. Um, and Jane has to once again stop Brown from just killing Alexis for getting too forward with Jane. Because, um, you know, Brown's a gentleman and he will step in to protect a married woman uh, just on, on principle. Uh, that night, um, you know, Tibbs is near exhausted. Uh, he wants to be left behind, but uh, Brown and Jane won't hear of it. Um, Jane wants to hunt for food. Um, Brown's not happy with this because, you know, Annette disappears. He's afraid Jane will as well. Um, but that night, um, um, 
Alexis tries to kill um, Brown with that with the axe, and that's where the chapter ends. And chapter twenty uh, has that's back to Nakima and Tarzan. He catches up with Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan notices that the paper on the stick is different. Um, he has some trouble getting it from Nakima, who thinks this is just a game of playing keep away. Uh, but eventually, um, Tarzan gets the note. He reads it, and um, yeah, you know, um, so sorry, I lost track of, of there for a moment. Um, so yeah, the chapter ends basically with um, with Tarzan getting the note that will tell him that Jane had in her plane had crashed. Um, chapters what twenty one through twenty five, um, and or chapter I'm sorry, chapter sixteen through twenty is what we just did. Right. Yeah. So, and I do really think that Nakima's activities throughout these chapters, they're delightful, they're funny, they're actually kind of sweet. Um, he never forgets, Burroughs never forgets that Nakima is a monkey and he's not a human being. And he uses his monkey traits, like not realizing the note he has is important to add both tension and humor to the plot. You'll see that in a lot of movies too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes done very well and sometimes not so well, but to do a little diversion or, or take a little bit of tension off of it, whether it's a war movie or horror movie or science fiction, uh, just to kind of give that little uh, subplot or if you want to call it or uh, distraction to uh, uh, give yourself a little breather room there. Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've, I've listed like uh, four or five duties here that I see Nakima having in these books. And, and, and including he moves supply along sometimes, uh, he provides humor, he gives Tarzan somebody to talk to, he, he can run errands, he can go get help, and he can and, and he can he can relay messages. Mm -hmm. um, and um, do we know why Nakima became cheetah in most of the movies and TV shows? My um, understanding is that chimpanzees were considered easier to work with. Okay, and, and whoever was putting together movies probably did not read the books. Yeah, and so it just came up with what they thought was a good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a cheetah. Um, I mean, there is an animal named a cheetah, and uh, mm -hmm. when I was a youngster, I found that confusing. I actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the kima in the book and cheetah, mm -hmm. when used well in the movies, is a good character mm -hmm. uh, and does provide humor. Mm -hmm. But um, he doesn't hold the candle to the kima. Who's just a, a much superior character, uh, not just in carrying the story along better, but just being a more more fun and more likable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it's just, uh, I think chimpanzees, because of whether uh, circuses or carnivals or uh, stores, exhibit and stuff, were more common to have around and better known for being able to train to make it a little more like animal human type humor like cheetah does um i don't think their mars would be as likely to do that nowadays when people realize just how dangerous and strong <laughs> chimpanzees are yeah they they've kind of lost their reputation for being fun because they occasionally eat people's faces off so um so so yeah that was i was always one fun part of the animated cartoon was it was nikima not cheetah you yeah. know and uh, one of the reasons to admire the, the Saturday morning animated cartoon so much. Um, Love the cartoon. 
Regarding Nakima's antics with that stick, though, I agree. It amazes me the mileage that Burroughs gets out of that. And there's a literary term for, for this, and I, I cannot think of what it is. I want to say device or gimmick or prop, but it adds an element of mystery and wonder because, I mean, I'm I'm reading those passages about Nakima and his stick with great interest because I know, I just know there's some valuable message on the end of that stick. And when, and I'm confident Tarzan's going to get it, but when's he going to get it under what circumstances and what all has to happen before they get there? Mm-hmm. So that, that can be engaged in. You know, I've read this several times. Yeah, it's just a fun way of moving the story around uh, along. Um, Dakima is uh, possibly used more effectively here than he was in any other novel. Um, I know, I know he, went, he goes for help for the Wazari back in Tarzan and the Lost Empire, and he... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does some useful stuff in others, but this this is like Nakima's really shines in this book more so than in any of the other books he's mm-hmm. in. So, uh, and another, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, another observation about this this book being a murder mystery. Now, the first murder we've had there with Kitty, it's fairly obvious to anyone who's been paying attention who the culprit is there, particularly when uh, Alexis is trying to retrieve his bloody bloody shirt or bloody piece of cloth or whatever it was. Uh, but, but now, but now Annette comes up missing, and we wonder what happened there. Well, we, ha- we again, if for those paying attention, we, we saw that kind of process that she disappeared by from the Kaburi that uh, Tarzan observed. Uh, but, but still, it still adds a little bit of a murder mystery as to who's going to be the next victim and how will they be caught and that, those kinds of things. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Now I was just going to move on to chapter twenty-one, unless we have more comments uh, from this section. I think I'm coming to Dell. Okay. Well, chapter 21, it starts with, you know, Alexa was trying to mm-hmm. crack open Brown's skull with an axe. Uh, Tibbs wakes up and warns Brown. Um, so Alexa's blow to the Brown's head misses, and Alexis runs off into the jungle. And Jane says, just let him go. I think by now, whatever doubts she had about who the killer was are gone. And um, just let him go. He's on his own. We'll, we'll get back to civilization on our own. Um, but that night, that next night after they've moved on a while, uh, another march, um, Jane disappears. And Brown and Tibbs are the only two left now. Uh, in fact, the chapter is called Only Two Left. Um, they search and they can't find her. They don't know what happened. Brown blames Alexis. Um, and I think Burroughs actually does a pretty good job here of leaving it even as our readers, we know about the Kavuru and how they can lure women away with their hypnotic um, sound. But we don't know at, at this particular moment if it was Alexis or the Kavuru who, who grabbed uh, Jane. Either one is possible at this particular moment. Um, in chapter 22, um, Nikima finds Tarzan, who's by now has read Jane's note. Um, you know, so. He, he sends Bavuro and the other warriors to continue towards the Kavuru land, uh, because remember, Mavuru's daughter is still a prisoner there, along with other women. Um, but Nakima, in the meantime, leads Tarzan back to the campsite where he found the note. Um, now, Tarzan can now start trailing Jane and their group himself. Um, in the meantime, um, you know, Alexis is alone in the jungle in a panic, starting to go insane, um, and a lion is stalking him. Um, and that's how the chapter 22 ends with that lion stalking him. Um, chapter 23 picks up with Tarzan um, uh, uh, saving Alexa from the lion. Um, and he questions Alexis. Um, 
you know, Alexis relates that his wife was murdered and that the party abandoned him and Lady Greystoke is in love with Brown. Um, and he tells them the direction they've headed in. Um, and Tarzan's not sure that Alexis, his story is inconsistent and he doesn't know how much of what he's telling is the truth, but he has to feel he has to help him because as far as he knows, the guy is a friend of Jane. So he's going to take him along as he finds uh, Jane, as he looks for Jane and Brown, um, you know, right after he hunts for some food. Um, chapter 24 does reveal that Jane was captured by a Kavuro. She was lured hypnotically out into the jungle and captured. Um, you know, and they, he's taking them back to their homeland, to Kavandavanda is the name of their homeland. Um, uh, Burroughs just love multisyllabic names sometimes just to drive the readers nuts when we have to read them <laughs> out loud. So um, she, you know, she learns that this guy's name is, is ugly. Um, and she talks, you know, she, she's trying to get information out of him. He eventually threatens to cut out her tongue for talking too much um, because, you know, Kavanda Vanda does not need her tongue. Uh, but that implies they need her for something. And um, so they arrive at the village. Um, they, um, they, they find out that the Kavuro men are rewarded with a necklace of teeth for every woman they capture. Um, and uh, he takes her up into a, uh, Ugo leads her up to the top of a windowless building and has her climb down a ladder into a pitch black room. Um, in the meantime, chapter 25, uh, Mavuro and the Wazari are also approaching the Kavuru village. And in the meantime, a plane shows up and it circles overhead for a while looking for a place to land. It's apparently low on gas and it makes a dangerous landing on the plane outside the Kavuru um, village. Um, and there's a great action scene where the Kavuru people attack, um, the, the Kavuru people attack the plane, uh, the Wazari jump in, um, the, the guys from the plane do have guns and they initially, unfortunately, mistake the Wazari as enemies as well uh, because the Kavuro are white guys. They think that they might be friendly. Um, so they end up getting killed. Um, most of the Wazari are killed. Um, the, the couple, two surviving Wazaris, Balundu and Mavuru, managed to grab some pistols from the dead pilots and climb to a rocky summit and from there, they're able to hold up, hold off the Kavuro with the pistols. Um, as night falls, the Kavuro avoid the airplane. They can't, they don't understand what it is and they just want to avoid it. Uh, Mavuro and Bolendo get away into the jungle and they're just wishing that Tarzan were there. Um, and so that is chapters uh, 21 through 25. Um, um, I think I like Alexis's Alexis's descent into fear and insanity. I think that's very well, that's very vivid and an understandable route for his character to take once he's lost in the jungle and everything seems helpless and all his plan, hopeless and all his plans have fallen apart. I can see him going nuts the way he, we see him slowly going insane. Um, and I do um, like the way also Burroughs is beginning to tie all the plot threads together. You know, Jane and as has in Tarzan have kind of had separate stories but now they're coming all together. Um, and you know, we also you know, get some effective foreshadowing about what's going on in the Kaburu village when Jane notices there's no women or children around and she still doesn't know what's going on with that. And we as readers still don't know quite what's going on with it as well. Um, 
And yeah, we've already talked about why the Wazari didn't bring modern rifles. They would have done a lot better in that fight. That was a cool fight. Um, one thing I kind of do wish, this is a nitpick, I know, but that plane, Burroughs gets a, away with using coincidence a lot, making it seem like a natural part of the story. It was one of his strengths. Here, we just have a plane that just shows up and we're never really, in, uh, you know, just a sentence that said they were looking for Jane's plane or something to explain why it's there, I think would have helped. Because um, you just have, you, just the plane just, which becomes an important plot device later on, just kind of drops into the story uh, without explanation. Um, and I think there was a reasonable explanation. They could have been searching for Jane's plane, but um, none is given. And I know that's a nitpick, but that's one little, this, and this is a great story, but that's one little criticism I'm going to forward there is I think Burroughs should have explained what that plane was doing there rather well, than just I, having it show up. I would not call it a nitpick. In fact, I was going to raise up that very point is we never found out any more about that plane than, than other than it dropped by, its people got killed. And uh, it provided some help to uh, the Wazari later on um, with, with the weapons and all that. Beyond that, we don't know anything about it. That's another one of those great uh, unsolved mysteries that uh, Burroughs leaves behind uh, for later use, maybe. And gee whiz, a whole story could be written around that plane. Yeah. And, and I do think there was a reasonable explanation that Burroughs could have done in a sentence. It's just... Um, uh, there, you know, Jane's plane had been lost for some days now. They were searching for it and they ran out of gas themselves mm -hmm. um, or had mechanical trouble, whatever. I think, you know, whatever reason they had to land, um, it would have, you know, it would have been uh, perfectly reasonable. And if they were looking for a friendly airport, that would be last on the list. That would be last on the list. So <laughs> uh, another item here while I've got the floor, um, I was, I've been anxious to see how, of course, we discussed, um, Alexis Catterwalling and uh, Brown's uh, attempt to uh, uh, coax him into some action. And I've been anxious to see how Tarzan would handle this. And his his uh, solution was unique, just throw Alexis on his shoulder and take to the trees. Mm -hmm. now, now, everyone, now everybody can do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, was, I was glad to see, uh, I was glad to see that uh, Tarzan finally is taking care of this fellow. If anyone can handle tar Tarzan. Yeah. And that's, that's not an uh, unusual thing to happen in Tarzan novels, is someone to be thrown over his shoulders and up into the trees and just be terrified for a moment until they realize that he's carrying them safely from point A to point B. It's, like it's, an, a, it's, a, quick, it's a quick and effective solution. I'll yeah. Say yeah, it's like an e-ticket ride at Disney World. It's just... <laughs> the, the other, one, one more thing here. These, we don't really get any more information on how these hypnotic abductions work. I mean, we've seen them demonstrated. But as to how in the heck they're actually able to do that is uh, not really uh, not really uh, explained in detail. Yeah, and and um, to, uh, Burroughs doesn't do as much background world building for the Kavuro as he did, for instance, in the Ant Man book, where uh -huh. he gave us their histories and an explanation of why their society is. Right, right. We we really don't find out how the Kavuro developed into the society they are, and right. some of the abilities they have, like the hypnotic stuff. Um, and we don't really need to have to have that. In this case, I think Burroughs just made a decision to move the story along quickly without worrying about it. But um, um, he does less world building here than he's done in the past. Oh, I think that. it follows much more like uh, King Solomon's Mines or She, mm -hmm. where there mm -hmm. might be a little background, but this is an action and adventure travelogue type. Yeah. Movie. Get in and do that. It's mm -hmm. what it is and mm -hmm. or who they are, and, and that's what drives a story. Yeah. The rest is left to our imagination. Well, real quick, I had the thought, 
uh, I'll try to condense this, that, that, you know, exactly where did these Kaviru people come from? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and they're white, which is a little unusual in, in Africa. I was speculating that perhaps they came from a shipwreck um, uh, decades ago, centuries ago, perhaps. And they made, and they were the survivors of a shipwreck and they made their way, made their way into the interior, set up shop as their own little tribe. And somehow or another figured out this uh, longevity uh, elixir. Um, another another possibility is they could have been a faction from the Romans, from the Lost Empire, oh, or yeah. the Crusaders, who oh, just yeah. broke off and then degenerated and lost oh, track yeah. of their technology. Oh, yeah. Right. And and then, you know, rebuilt into the society they had. Yeah, so well, there's, yeah there's plenty of other lost cities to, to choose from. Yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah, the city of gold. There could have been any of these places that they had broken off from like thousands of years ago or, or centuries ago and just degenerated into what they became, especially after they discovered the immortality pill and, um, you know, didn't handle that with, with uh, you know, ethics in mind. So, right. All right. That's all I have. When you, mm-hmm. when you theorize a shipwreck, maybe a space shipwreck. Uh-oh. <laughs> they, Uh-oh. Could, they, could, Uh-oh. they could be Venusians or from Barsoom. Um, they, but they, if they had been from Mars, though, they already would have been. You know, well, I, I will yeah. admit, I will admit, I was my first thought was a shipwreck from um, oh heck, the ship that dropped off uh, Jane and her dad uh, oh. on the on the African coast there. That rather than the one with the Tarzan's parents. Hey, you could go back to that one actually. You yeah. can use use either one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that ship actually had a, one of those ships had a wreck. And those are the survivors. Uh, Barsoom had not occurred to me. I will concede that, but I think it's a darn good idea. As I said, there's a story there waiting to be told. <laughs> well, if if Barsoomians who end up on Earth lose their natural immortality, and then they might have actually made an effort to rediscover it somehow. Yeah, with that's a motivation. So yeah, so so that's not a bad thought either. We might have stumbled onto something here. Yeah, it would. Um, Depends on how realistic you want to get. They would have had to have gotten yeah. <laughs> used to Earth. They would have had to have gotten used to Earth's gravity, which would have been a problem at first for them. That would be a, agreed. That would yeah. be a problem that's been documented. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, um, but then maybe from Venus. So, well, maybe that's what happened to uh, that, and the gravity shrunk them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Way off. Wait, didn't didn't the Venusians have uh, their own immortality treatments? Um, yes, they did. Yeah, okay. So one of the first, so, first so things they give to Carson when he when he when he comes to visit them, they don't know him from Adam. They give him the they give him the uh, longevity treatment. Yeah. So if they somehow some Venusians somehow ended up on Earth, uh, and then had to rediscover like in an immortality syndrome and came up with a different one, and mm-hmm. um, that's a, not a bad theory either. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have had they wouldn't have had to have worried about gravity. True. So, you know. Yeah. Wheels are turning. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but uh, um, the last few chapters, um, you know, Brown's, Brown and Tibbs are still on their own, uh, but Alaska, uh, Tarzan catches up with them. Um, he hears them talking about the murder. He's actually kind of thinking that he wants to kill Brown because according to Alexis, Brown had been putting moves on Jane. But fortunately, he hears them talking about the murder and the disappearance of Jane and Annette. He realizes they're they're good guys. He drops down on them. Um, we get some more great humor here. You know, uh, Brown's reaction to Tarzan after Tarzan introduces himself. Yeah, well, I'm glad to meet you, Tarzan. I'm Napoleon. And then um, 
Tarzan ends up throwing Brown into a bush and saying, you forgot Waterloo, Napoleon. Um, <laughs> that, I, think, you know, I think that also shows Tarzan's grasp of uh, history and education. Yeah, as he became uh, out of the jungle and was educated. Mm-hmm. He's been doing some reading, obviously. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, we get back to Jane, who is, um, uh, this is chapter 27 now. She meets, Annette is in that dark room as well. She immediately starts, James immediately starts planning an escape. And, and uh, um, Annette feels they're, they're doomed, but Jane is encouraging her and saying, no, we can do this. We can get out somehow. And I love that she starts to vamp uh, Uglet into, you know, she sees escape. She, he's fallen for her too. There's like three different people who fall for Jane, you know, Alexis and then Ugla and then later the, the king of the Kavuru are all gonna fall for Jane which happens a lot in her life. I think I counted up like other than um, other than Tarzan, there's at least seven different people who fall in love or in lust with her over the course of the novels. Um, she probably did not have any trouble getting a date for her prom back in high school. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, she, uh, but I love the bit where she's just trying to vamp Ugla um, and just, oh, you know, let us go. You can come with us. It'll be nice. And She's saying, you know, she tells Annette, no, of course, I'm not going to do anything with him, but all, all is fair in love and war. You know, we can get him to get us out of here and then we can make a break for it. Um, and even, you know, she, and she just keeps her cool the whole time. She even keeps her cool later when she's introduced to Kavanda Vanda. Um, darn it, Edgar, for giving a name that's hard to say to the king. Um so, uh, uh, you know, he gets the hots for her too, but she just continues to, to be observant to any chance to escape. Um, so, yeah, as I said, that's three bad guys who fall in love with her over the course of the book. But she, the tension between Ugla and Kavanda Vanda is used to advance the, the plot. Um, Alexa gets killed during these two. She gets, what, eaten by a leopard, right? Um, kind of a gruesome end, but she really can't feel sorry for him. Um, now Tarzan Brown and Tibbs show up and they find out, you know, they, they meet those two surviving Wazari and they come up with one of my favorite plans ever. Whoops. Sorry. I just, if we, if a noise comes up on the recording, that was me bumping the microphone. Sorry about that. Um, um, I love this plan. Uh, remember Brown is a pilot. So they're going to take off from the plane, which is going to be difficult. Brown, we're going to see how good a pilot he is because he's going to have to bounce the plane over a boulder while trying to take off in this field because it's not a smooth um, um, runway. It's a field. Um, they're going to go up in the plane and then parachute out um, into the village. And the side of the plane panics a lot of the Kavuru people. Um, and there's just great action scenes here. Um, I won't try to just explain it all, but um, they get into the village, they rescue Jane, they find an escape, and Annette, they find an escape route. Uh, we find out that Tarzan has no objection to using firearms when the situation calls for it. And he's a good shot. He uses a pistol to uh, finish off Kabandoanga. Um, and so they all get away. Um, and that the whole plan of taking up the plane and just parachuting out into the, into the village is a great one. Uh, it's very innovative. It makes me wish all the more that Burroughs had come up with a reason for the plane being there. So it didn't seem like such a duex machina that it was just there. Um, so the good guys are all safe. There's a final scene in the bungalow 
Um, and I think it's a nice touch that Tibbs is just a part of the party. He's nervous about being considered a equal among the nobility, you know, among the Greystokes, but, you know, they're just treating him as one of the guys, as another guest. And I love that touch. And it's, um, um, and they talk about the immortality pills. They divide up what they have for everyone to use or not use as they see fit. Um, and they decide not to make them public or try to make money with it. Brown has a great line. Suppose Congress gets a hold of them. Just think of that. Not on your life. So, um, and I think we can still feel about that way today, like, you know, nearly 100 years later. So, um, uh, you know, and at this point, Jess, you wrote a great article Thank about you. whether or not Tarzan or Jane would have used these pills. Um, do you want to summarize that? I'll do what I can. I appreciate you bringing this up. Uh, yeah, the topic of the Kavuru uh, elixir and pills uh, arose in the uh, ERB Universe book that came out, oh, gee, was a year ago, uh, Tarzan Battle for Pelluster, written by Wynn Scott Eckert. And one of the concerns about the original Kavuru pills is that it requires the death of young maidens to, to, to har I'll say, harvest uh, some of their uh, innards to be to use it in the in the creation of these of these pills. That's incredibly unethical to say the least, and requiring the death of people to do something like that. Um, so there has been concern. There's always been a question because Burroughs, as you described here in this very last chapter, uh, the uh, survive our surviving heroes here from the story are gathered around the table and they're discussing what to do with the pills. Now. Be aware that Tarzan is not mentioned specifically. We don't know specifically that he's there at that meeting. Um, you go back and reread it. I don't think you'll find any specific mention that says Tarzan was sitting here. Jane makes a statement. Um, but uh, as far as Tarzan, I'm not entirely sure he was even there. But it seems to several fans, and me included, that it would be unlikely that a Tarzan or Jane would partake of this stuff because of the death of, of uh, young women being required in order to make it. It would um, almost be, it would almost be cannibalism or yeah, actually it, almost it, would be unethical. cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. unethical, yeah, cannibalism, it'd, it'd be the concern. And uh, I certainly don't want my heroes behaving like that. Even though I want my heroes to last forever, yes, but not at that kind of a cost. Yeah. So that's kind of been, been, been a question in Burroughs' fandom over the years. So, and um, they've addressed that question in the book Battle for Pelister, which is an excellent book, by the way. We talked about it some time ago here in, the, in this discussion. Um, uh, that the uh, the, the um, survive, surviving, the remaining, some of the remaining Kavuru pills were turned over to scientists who were able to, um, I think the word is uh, the process, so that uh, no one needs to be killed in order to create this, these things. And in uh, Tarzan Battle for Pluster, uh, it is confirmed there that uh, Tarzan and Jane did take the synthesized pills and uh, are continuing. Uh, granted, it's not in vulnerability. It's not, it's not immortality. It is longevity, meaning that they are still functioning uh, very well, even at an advanced age. And I, I have written an article about this, which appears in the Muckers magazine about a year ago, um, March 31. Uh, 2021 was the publishing date of the Muckers magazine, also the Panthans magazine. I sent a copy of Bibliophiles, but they haven't gotten to it yet. Um, and, uh, and oh, uh, it's in Urbapa also. And certainly I can make it available for anyone who's interested. Uh, go ahead, Tim. I think you started to say something. 
But it it also explains, I think, in Tarzan and the Foreign Legion, which is three or four oh, books yeah. later. And it's right. set in the 1940s. So Tarzan by now should be getting a little older. Right. And the, the group he's with wonders why he's not. And he explains about a witch doctor who is grateful for his life being saved doing a ceremony that kept right. him from aging. And he also mentions the immortality pill or the longevity pills, rather. Um, I had, when I read that, first time I read that years ago, it had been some time since I'd read Tarzan Quest and I'd forgotten the bit about, you know, uh, uh, women being killed to make those pills. Mm -hmm. And I was, I always wondered why he put in another immortality method with the witch doctor or longevity when he already had the pills, you know, why add the other one? But I think Burroughs was thinking about the ethics of swallowing those pills as well. I agree totally. And, and wanted to come up totally. with a way why Tarzan wasn't any yeah. older. Um, yeah. And so he put in that extra explanation. Right. Um, so um, he, I, yeah, I don't think he overtly said Tarzan didn't take the pills, but I think you can, I think it's a good implication he did. Otherwise yeah. the other ceremony just would have been unnecessary. Right. Yeah, some excellent, excellent books have come out of that in the mm -hmm. crossover universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, the, so that, yeah. And then artificially reproducing, it explains why also you could have Korak and Miriam and all of them uh, all being able to remain into the stories through the decades without having to worry about them getting too old. Exactly. Even, um, I think even Jeb Balja might have received mm. treatment. Uh, he might have. I, I know Nikima is mentioned or not. Nikima is mentioned in uh, Foreign Legion as anyone who Tarzan oh. says something like anyone who took the pill hasn't aged, including a monkey. That's so, right. No, so Nikima, you. you're exactly so right. So Nikima yeah. did pop one of those pills and right. became uh, um, you know centuries old monkey. I guess he'd still be around today. Uh, uh, I, so. I, hope I, so. So, I hope so. I just wonder if Tarzan eventually took him down to Pellucidor with him. So uh, <laughs> I, I would hope so too. Mm. Um, uh, so, Although, <laughs> so, so when I, you know, when I discuss people, uh, discuss Tarzan with people in my discussion group or fellow fans or whomever, um, I would generally say, well, we know Tarzan had the wish doctor treatment. He describes it in um, Tarzan of the Foreign Legion <laughs> and, and also had access to the Kavuru drugs, although there is some complications in using that. But with with the revelation from uh, Wynn's book, uh, Tarzan Battle for Lucifer, I can refer to the uh, Kavuru elixir and without without uh, worrying about violating any ethics or having a having a, a cause to death of some some young lady someplace. Any contradictions in the canon now? Yeah. Um, and, and even people, even fans who just like to think of just Burroughs novel as canon and the others as alternate universes, which is a choice that a fan can make. In a Indeed. Legitimate. Indeed. He still he still has a in-universe explanation that yes. don't involve the pills for why Tarzan is still young and active during World War II. Exactly right. And to your point, uh, when we were discussing Tarzan's longevity, well, while the pills were questionable, mm. the, uh, the uh, statements he made in Tarzan and Foreign Legion came straight from him, and he was telling other people about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's not the kind of boast. And in, fact, yeah. in fact, one of the things I like about Foreign Legion is he opens up with strangers, or more or less strangers, uh, more so than we've ever seen him open up with anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, of course, they had earned his respect. There was um, right. one of the soldiers or uh, bomber crews, I guess, that, yes. was, yeah, um, what, like jumps over a rhinoceros or something. I mean, he gets a compliment from Tarzan. That's one of the bravest things I've ever seen. So, 
So I think Tarzan opens up with them. We've got to do in a future broadcast. We have to do Tarzan and the Foreign Legion. Oh, I agree uh, totally. Because there's great the, characters in that, and another uh, you know, you you if you have Tarzan telling you that's one of the bravest things I've ever seen, then you know you've done good. So, <laughs> so it's a good so, day. So I can see Tarzan deciding these guys are friends. I can share stuff with them. Right. So, so you know, he's normally reticent, but he's sharing danger with them, and they're proving to be brave companions. And so, what the heck? He's friends with them now. There's um, a and the gold key adaptation of that book, Tarzan and the Foreign Legion. Uh, it does cover that conversation just a little bit. You see, get some good shots, of, good picture. I hate to say shots, good pictures of the plane uh, while while they're talking, and uh, that that's a a, f- a favorite uh, comic story of mine. Too. Yeah, I just um, going back to Ant Man, where Tarzan crashes a plane on his first solo mission. I know in Foreign Legion he was an RAF reserve officer, but I wonder if they actually let him fly a plane since his record wasn't that good. <laughs> so, um, well, he, um, in um, now the granted this is not written by Burroughs, but it's another fine author, and that's Will Murray in his Return to um, Return to Paludon, um, which was the first of the uh, Wild Adventures of ERB Inks product line there. Um, Tarzan does fly. Okay. Which line which is how he gets into Pai Don. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, it's easier than slogging through that swamp, I guess. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, that's Tarzan's quest. I think we all agree it was a fun novel that showed that's got wonderful action scenes and um, sh- uh, shows off Burroughs' sense of humor perhaps mm-hmm. better than, uh, you know, I think one of the top books in, in showing off his, t- his sense of humor. Um, and we might have had a few little criticisms about the lack of world building with the Kaburu and the plane showing up without explanation, but those are nitpicks. This is really a fun novel. I'm glad we picked this one because I had not reread it in years and I had forgotten how much fun it was. Um, the interactions between the various characters, Brown and Annette and all those are all fun. Um, and as I mentioned, that whole idea of taking off in the plane and para- just abandoning the plane and parachuting down into the Kaburu city was just a wonderful plan. I love that bit. So um, so it's a great novel um, and it's worth reading. So anyone listening who hasn't read it recently, just crack it open and read it. I, yeah. I do know that Tarzan Farm, uh, no, I beg your pardon, Tarzan's Quest is the book <laughs> we're talking about. I do know that that is one of the four books designated for the next release from the ERB Authorized Library. Okay. Uh, when that will be, uh, I think they're still targeting, where are we now? We're at the end of October. I think they're still targeting this year, um, but I haven't heard anything specific. Have we seen any uh, of the covers for it yet? Or I know no. Joe, I know Joe no. occasionally shares what he's working on. Right. So. I don't think I've seen any covers for this. Okay, year. I'm so really I'm, I'm, check for those. I'm really curious about what Joe will pick um, for his for his scene for for cover scene for this because there's so many potentially great choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so um, I, and um, actually, I don't you know. I've never met Joe or talked with him other than trading some messages on Facebook or post comments on Facebook once. But um, I just wonder how much he struggles with some of these books to pick what scene to use because there's so many great choices in so many of them. Well, he knows uh, these books as well as any, any of us. He's, he's yeah, kind of he does. That helps. Mm-hmm. They so, never disappoint. The covers never disappoint. No, they beautiful no. work the these, last couple of years. Yeah, these, these are covers that are, you know, some breath, breathtaking is often exaggeration, but they're not with these covers. You look at these covers and they actually make you gasp. <laughs> so <laughs> they're that good. Um, 
So yeah, so the, these are worth buying um, uh, just, you know, just for the covers alone. So, um, but the, the, you know, the extra, the forwards and the extra information in them is cool too. So they're, well, they're just, yeah. That adds what you're saying earlier about the books. It isn't necessarily that previous books with the artwork and stuff, you know, uh, St. Alan, uh, Frazetta, all these people, they're fabulous works, but these new authorized editions with the artwork, with the binding, the paper used, mm -hmm. the new material added to it, these are all in all, overall, <laughs> in, an incredible presentation of, of the works of uh, ERB. They're beautiful books. Yeah, I agree. And and those uh, I want to mention those those covers the, the artwork the book covers is available as a as a print uh, from uh, iCanvas.com for those yeah. who are not aware. Uh, but yeah, iCanvas.com look search for the Edgar Rice Burroughs collection and you should find around seventy or eighty items, which includes the, the book covers that Joe Jesco has done. Cool. Um, okay. Well, I think we're coming to the end of our discussion. Um, and so we appreciate everyone who's been listening tonight and we hope uh, you've enjoyed it and we will be back again. We are recording this again at the end of October in the year 2022. Um, we probably won't manage another one until after the new year, but um, I'll try and do some like mini episodes in the meantime to get some new contact out there. Um, and we also will announce what book we're doing next when we decide that. Um, um, I'm tempted to say Tarzan and the Foreign Legion, and I do want to do that one, but we've done several Tarzans in a row. We ought to pick something from somewhere else for next time. So we'll 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 message each other and figure it out. So, uh, Tim, excuse me. Any news for our store? Any any new developments there? Um, nope. Still, nobody's buying nothing. So, what's the, what's the website? Where can they find? It? What will they find? It is. It is cafepress.com slash ERB podcast. It will always be in the show notes. Uh, and we have got great material there done by um, yeah. an artist, artist named um, uh, Ben Alvarez, who does some superb work. You can get Griff, you can get a Griff t-shirt, you can get a Tars Tarkas mug, you can get, um, um, you know, a, a, a Woola shot glasses, you know. There's all sorts of things with great images. Um, always appreciate the Edgar Rice Burroughs people and giving us permission to use images directly from the stories. And support your family podcast. So support your family podcast. Um, I know we are not the only podcast that has a store that has trouble selling material. So it's a common podcast problem. So people buy it, make us rich beyond the dreams of avarice, and we'll buy mansions and invite everybody over for <laughs> dinner one day. Maybe so, we need to get a couple of those shot glasses and, and have a <laughs> podcast with them, because like having lived in Minnesota and the Vikings and Skull, we could just hold them up and go, voila, voila! <laughs> yeah, because our podcast, though, is all audio, so nobody would get that. So <laughs> we could take pictures to match. We could, it take, on YouTube. We could, we take, could take pictures. We could. So, <laughs> um, okay. Well, to sign off, once again, my name is Tim DeForest. Uh, you can find my blog at Comics, Old Time Radio, and other cool stuff and links to my Amazon.com author page there. Uh, Jess, you want to plug anything before we go? And my name is Jess Terrell, and I invite everyone to come over to Facebook and our Facebook discussion group for Love of All Things Edgar Rice Pearls. We're open, pertinent, 24-7, talking worlds, worlds, characters, and uh, and stories. Uh, 
to, to our hearts contend. We'd love to have you join us. We love all things Edgar Rice Burrows. And I'd like to say thanks too to ERB Inc. for the uh, leeway they've given us and, and approaching this material and, and doing what we do. And also to plug those comic strips online. They're, they're fantastic. And if no one has uh, any of the recent, like they put out the collection of the I Am a Barbarian in the slipcover, uh, Thomas uh, Simmons wrote it and uh, uh, Benito did the art on it. It's a beautiful volume. You fans out there, go go ahead and get it. They they've I'll just have some more. I'll have some more randomized studio information on our next podcast. Yeah, which actually we should say also that they have reprinted the Tarzan New Adventure strips in a book form. Yeah. Um, that's just come out. Yeah, uh, that's written, superb. New, too. Yeah, new stories written by Roy Thomas with great artwork. Um, and yeah. The, so these online comic strips, I will print a, I will um, put a link to the site there. It is a subscription site, but it's like uh, two bucks a month and it's well worth it for what you yeah. need. Um, uh, so I'll put, I'll put a link in the show notes to, uh, to the uh, online comics as well. Um, that, that we talked earlier about the new Jane web comic. I guess mm -hmm. one of several. Yeah. yeah. Yep, I'll, I'll put links to the uh, I Am Barbarian and the Tarzan uh, new collection to their Amazon pages too, in case anybody wants to pick those up. Very good. And to, and, and, and to the GCon. Our wow. website, <laughs> our web, well, our store is cafepress.com slash ERB podcast. Mm -hmm. And our, um, the site for this is erbpodcast.blogspot.com. But um, you can also find this on various, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, podcast platforms. You can find it on Amazon, um, Audible, Spotify. Uh, App, Apple, Spotify. It'll it'll be on all those. I posted on a site that just automatically spreads it out to all of those. So you can find this just wherever wherever you go for podcasts. You can find us. So uh, we appreciate listeners. I know uh, that we have. I don't have. A, I've never had a good sense of the number of listeners, but I know we have. Um, you know, somewhere in the hundreds listening at least every episode. And we appreciate all of you. So thank Indeed. you. Um, and we'll talk to you all again soon.